And we've been for some time building a sermon series around the topic, our Bible, the question book. And uh, we've done this for two reasons. First of all, um, a lot of people think of the Bible as the answer book. And those answers are too easy a lot of times when they express them. But what we don't recognize is that a lot of the most profound questions ever asked are from the Bible. And it's because the Bible raises those really striking questions that we come up with the best and the deepest and most unique answers in the Bible. So in our series, we have focused mostly on Old Testament uh, passages and we'll soon move to New Testament, which is also rich in provocative questions. Questions that Jesus asked or questions that people asked about Jesus, questions that were raised by his presence. But today I want to deal with a question that probably got my attention as I grew up uh, in understanding the Bible in a new and more challenging way. A biblical question that led me as a young person to think new thoughts about my own life and I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version because that's the way it came down from heaven and, and, and that's the way it was presented to me. And it's also the simplest way in which this question is remembered. So I'm going to um, read from Psalm 8 in the King James Version, Psalm 8 beginning with verse 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visiteth him? Just by saying what is man instead of what are people, including everyone, you know, that sounds kind of archaic. But I want to leave it that way for now and I think I can explain why. What is man that you are mindful of him? There, I've taken that King James question and just removed the thous and replaced them with yous. That's the way we know it, mostly. What is man that thou art mindful of him or that you are mindful of him? In the light of what I see, in the light of the heavens, the worlds that you have made, what is this person? That Peggy, that person. Okay, what does she matter? in the universe, or that Claudia person. What is that person in the light of all that I see? Hopefully every one of us has had at least one of these moments in our lives for a young person fascinated with science from my earliest days. That was a moment of, of great thought and meaning in my life. Now if we go to Back to the text. Now I'm going to read it from the Revised Standard Version this time. And you'll see how um, uh, translators have tried to make it more explainable and radically less poetic. And in Psalm 8, verse 1, beginning with the first verse. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Two things I want you to notice here. 
First, um, this um, opening phrase, O Lord, our sovereign, or O Lord, our Lord, we'll explain why it takes those two forms, is the same phrase with which he closes this psalm. This is a psalm that is bookended by a reference to who God ultimately is. An acknowledgement of that fact is what this psalm is all about. Everything else we understand in life has to be put in the context of that. Now, unfortunately, everything we understand about life is usually put in the context of me and me. But we're looking at a different perspective, one that lifts our eyes. When I consider, that's an act of the will. It's a choice of what to look at. When I consider the heavens, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, and you have set your glory above the heavens. So right from that opening verse, I'm pushed even farther out. And it doesn't take much in studying modern astronomy to see that even that picture of the world as the immediate globe and all of those stars out there, that's only a near view of the universe. And the more we study, the more awesome that becomes. Now I want to take a moment um, to give you a Hebrew lesson. Ready to go back to seminary, Wade? Okay. Um, there are a lot of names for God in the Bible. But there are basically, in the Hebrew Bible, three ways God is most often referred to, and they're all here. The first word is first Lord. Now, if you see in your uh, translation of the Bible, this is true of both the King James and uh, Revised Standard, which is your pew Bible, but the four letters for war, Lord are always capitalized in this case, but then in the next one, they're not. Just the first letter is capitalized. So that's not the translators just having fun with letters. They're trying to get across that these are two different words in the Hebrew. And the word Lord with capital L-O-R-D, that is a special word to the Hebrew people. That is the word that God gave to Abraham and said, I am Yahweh. And it means, it means I am. I am the I am. You want me to define myself? I just did. I am. But that covenant name was the, a unique possession of the Israelite people. And that name was their God. Another God over there was Baal. Another God was, they're all lords, but this is the Lord of Israel. Now, it was natural for every people in, in the ancient world to see their God as their personal God, as their, the God of their people. And uh, Israel had to slowly learn that Yahweh was claiming to be God, not only of the Israelites, but of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and people who they didn't even imagine existed. So he, this Yahweh God, their God, who was described by capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, was also the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D. And that is a big claim. And acknowledging that your personal God, not the God of those people who go to that church or this church or this, that your personal God is the God above all things, the creator God, that itself is a big step. 
Now the last word, which is in the Bible always translated by the word God, with one exception, but this word Elohim, it's sometimes El or Elohah, but it's that root, uh, Elohim. That's a word for God as, a, as contrasted with man. So Lord, that middle one, uh, you women can turn to your husbands now and use that word. You can say, you are my Lord. And it is used that way in the Old Testament. Thank you, Judy. And it, it is used that way in the Old Testament. A woman referring to her husband that way. But Elohim could not be used that way. Elohim is the name for God. A holy name for the other, the God. Those three words are really interesting. So our text begins and ends, this poem begins and ends with, O Yahweh, our, Yah, or our Lord. O Yahweh, our Lord. Elohim is not there yet, okay? But remember it. The God of Israel is the God of the universe. The God of you is the God of the universe. He's not your personal possession against people who don't believe exactly the way you do. He is the God. And that reality bookends our psalm. So now let me read Psalm 8, 1 to 4 to get the whole context of this. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, this in the King, in the King James is when I consider your heavens, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have established, what are humans that you are mindful of them? or mortals that you care for them. Notice how the modern version has kind of made women part of this journey. Because in the original text, the word is man, which is too bad, and yet, if you think about it, it's not. Because the word for man here is interesting. It's the word enosh in the Hebrew, and it gets abbreviated often to the word the N is left out, and it's the word ish. So it's a good description of men, right, women? Ish. But women are isha. But the emphasis on this, the root of the meaning of that word is weakness. It is the fact that we are frail. The fact that we are mortal. And in the next phrase, the son of man, the word is Adam, like Adam. The son of Adam is the son of the earth. That's what that word means. From the earth, from the soil, it gets dirty. So you humans, you man, woman, you're, you're so much part of this earth and you're so tiny a speck at all. What do you matter at all? When I consider 
the heavens. I usually don't do that. I don't go out in the morning and look up at the skies and count the stars or middle of the night to count the stars or uh, check the horizon to see if I can see how far I can see today. We don't, we're focused inwardly. And so when I consider the world from me, from inside myself, then it becomes mixed up very quickly. And I have a picture, if that comes up, of not me, but someone else. So when you consider the world with yourself at the center, it gets really messy. You put yourself in the middle of that. I, when I was choosing pictures, I was wishing I had a picture of my office. And it, it, it's hard to find the center. But if there is one, it's you. And that is very, very limiting. And as James says in the New Testament, James chapter 4, uh, when we let ourselves be the center of consideration, we, our life has no meaning at all. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there doing business and making money. We don't usually think that far ahead. This is a very unusual planner. But even this person, verse 14, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Your life, you are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. The version, the King James Version says, you're a vapor, appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Now, instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, if instead of making yourself the center automatically, you, you first think, what is the Lord's wish? That throws you outside of yourself into the context of what his plan is. And when you think about him, you do think about other people and other towns and other nations and other stars and other, I mean, then it becomes cosmic because he is the God of all of that. And, and then your puniness is underlined, but amazingly, Amazingly, it doesn't work that way. What is humanity? What is a man? What is a person? What is this person? What is tiny little old me? So we're going to change our question from what is man that you are mindful of him to what am I? What am I? that you are mindful of me. It depends on how you consider things. It, can, it depends on what your center of thought is, how you're choosing to look at the picture. These three words that are in here, and they're translated different ways, but the word consider, the word mindful, the word think, which turns out to be visitive than the King James. They're all words about where we focus our attention. And 
if we do think first of what the Lord's will is, then we will find our place. This is what this is all about. It is putting me in my place. It's putting me in my place. My place, turns out, is pretty tiny. Why are those capital letters so large? Because of a key word at the beginning of verse 5. The word yet. See? What are you or what am I that God pays any attention to us at all? Yet. You have made, here's the King James. You have made them. Them got to be plural because he went from man to humanity. So once you try to modernize concepts, you, you kind of lose the, the power of it. But you have made them little lower than God. Little lower than God. What's the King James say? Does anybody remember it? Little lower than the angels. The word here is Elohim. That third word for God. If this is elevating for man and for humans to say we're a little lower than angels, you're, you're, you're underestimating yourself. Angels are a bit lower than you. A little lower than God. Now, if you look this up in a Bible dictionary or something and find out that there's one place where the word Elohim refers to angels, and then you'll find this is the one place. Wrong. It, it's just a mistranslation. And it happened way back about 250 years before Christ when the Bible was translated into the Greek from the Hebrew. And those translators got to this and it said, you have made them a little lower than God. And they chickened out and they choose the word angels. And that's how the word got into the Greek translation and ultimately into the English translation. That was a much more radical statement than we recognize about the glory of man. There's a lot in this passage that reflects back on the creation account. And we remember that it was humans, human beings that were created in God's image. Not other animals or plants, not the design in nature, but, and not angels, but humans created in God's image. Wow. Did, what did God say? You deserve to be nothing, yet you're way up here. Isn't that an amazing statement? There's your Elohim, and just beneath him is the human he created in his image. I'm going to read from verse 5 and see what it says about this elevated station of humans. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Wait, wait, 
Okay, our problem was that we wore a crown and made ourselves the center of everything. Now it says that God crowns us with glory and honor. That's what he thinks of us. We are worth that. And you have given them dominion over the works of your hand. There's a reflection of the creation account when God gave dominion over plants and animals. Dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. All things. That coal that you dug up and you burned to develop industry to pollute, pollute the universe. Oh yeah, you messed up with that. But that that was given as a dominion. It's because you're made in the image of God that we're able to conquer our environment, or at least appear to, because ultimately it, it bites us. But this immense dom dominion that we humans have, the potential of one human being to change the world, is a gift of God. We're not born with that, and we give it up when we try to take his place. When we say, yeah, God made us a little lower than himself, and maybe not that much lower, and maybe, God, let's talk about this. No, no, no. No, no. Then you're going to mess it up. But once God puts you in his place, which is beneath him, then God puts you in your place which is above all of the things. And he allows you to make that a positive thing. No wonder he ends the psalm with, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He says the same thing again. This, this thing that, uh, that God puts us in our place is bad news until it becomes good news. If you try to put the good news first and say, I have this elevated position, you're on the way to saying, God, I don't need you. And then you will fall. If we submit to the ultimate reality that our personal God is the God of the universe and everything revolves around him, once once we fully embrace that, then the universe becomes ours. We have our rightful place under him as made in his image. Now, this is coming as news to some of us because life has kicked the deity out of us. But out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. See, they see things intuitively. That's what that verse means. And that's why Jesus quoted this. Remember when they were criticizing him for blessing little children for on the, the, at the Palm Sunday entrance when they were waving the palm branches and everything. And, and, and the followers said, 
rebuke them because they're, they're making too much noise. Call them out. And Jesus said, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. And that's a quote of this psalm. Babbling babies tell the story more effectively than a scientific lecture on the universe. A little child knows instinctively more than all theology books can tell me about God and more than all science books can tell me about the universe. A little child. What does that little child see when he looks out the window at the sky? What does he see? If we can put ourselves in that child's place, realize that as long as I consider myself, my feelings, my desires, my dreams to be the focus, I will never figure out my life's meaning. But once I do, what am I that you are mindful of me, O oh Lord? What am I? I've got to know my place by once again submitting to him before I can know my place with all that God intended for me. So I'm going to ask you in a moment of silence to consider this. First, consider it from your point of view. Think about the world around you and all of the opportunities you have to make a difference in, in your world, in people's lives. And, and what have you done with those opportunities? But then consider what it is to worship him as we have this morning, to honor him, and then let him point out what your glorious personal destiny can be. That's putting you in the place. We thank you, Lord. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.